Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have a great episode for you. We have John Perkins, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and also New York Times bestselling updated version of that book, The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Um, you have to read this book. This is required reading. This is one of my favorite books of all time, um, and definitely one of the most eye-opening, compelling, gripping books I've ever read. A real page turner. I didn't want to put it down. I'm so glad that John updated the book from the Confessions of a New uh, the New Confessions uh, of an Economic Hitman, which has 15 new chapters. Um, and the expanded editions, uh, the, the expanded edition of this book, uh, you know, brings the the story of uh, the economic hitmen, the EHMs, uh, up to date, and you know, very chillingly home to the U.S. And uh, over forty percent of the book uh, is new, so this updated version is well worth it to go get it. Um, don't even get the original version, as John says; just get the new one. Um, and, you know, he's, like I said, 15 new chapters, including chapters identifying today's strategies being used with the economic hitmen and um, just the detailed documentation. The first edition was published in, in 2004, and I, I believe it spent 73 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and sold well over a million copies. Uh, it's been translated into 32 languages. I mean, this is, this was like, you know, a... A bomb, a nuclear bomb went off when this book was was dropped, and ever since then, John has been traveling around the world and giving talks and writing. Um, and he's got all that he's he's got so much information online. You can go and and check out his web website at johnperkins.org, um, where he has events and trips and speaking and and articles that he writes. And, um, and you can also go on YouTube and check out, he does, he has Ted talks and he has all kinds of, uh, great, uh, information about all of this stuff that's going on that most people, you know, don't really know about so much. Most people are unaware of how these things work, you know, how the world works, how government corporations and the deep state and, you know, heads of states of other countries and, and things like that, how they all work together to um you know tilt the uh the market to their favor and and you know basically just exploit situations and take advantage and um you know get rich and powerful while we all you know suffer because of it um so yeah i mean in this in this podcast i'm talking to john about his latest uh his latest works um, and just kind of picking his brain about what's been going on in the world and what we can do to combat uh, this this kind of stuff. And John has, is you know a big advocate of preserving uh, indigenous cultures in the Amazon, and um, he's written uh, extensively about that and the planet, what we can do to protect the planet and preserve these uh, these these wonderful uh, works of art in nature. You know these indigenous cultures and the life-changing kinds of um, eye-opening, consciousness-expanding, you know, heart-diving into 
experiences that uh, that that I've had in the Amazon jungle and that many people have, and how how powerful this stuff is. And the reason why I asked him on the show, and you know, I know this is a psychedelic show. I guess you know it's called Mycadelic, and uh, but you'll notice that you know this show is a little bit different than most of the psychedelic kinds of shows that are out there, where I don't necessarily focus too much on the uh, what's happening in the world, uh, the scientific research of psychedelics and these sorts of things, but rather how we can apply or, or how, why a psychedelic point of view is valuable and it, why it's valuable to have an expanded consciousness, why having psychedelic experiences could be beneficial to healing ourselves and thus healing the planet, changing the world for the better. And I think that these sorts of things are required, and that's why I asked John on the show because he, you know, he the it's all interconnected, you know, it's all interconnected. And he talks about this, he writes about this, you know, it's it's all about changing ourselves on an individual level. And I preach about this all the time, you know. But it's really we can't see the changes that we want in the world unless we change ourselves first. And that's just, you know, it might be cliche to say that, but it's true. Um, because we are these things. I had Hamilton Souther, Master Shaman, Hamilton Souther on the podcast uh, a, a bunch of episodes back. And I asked him a question about, you know, these systems and these institutions that are oppressing us and, and sorts of things and what he thinks about that. And he gave me an interesting answer. He was like, well, these are our systems. These are our, our institutions. You know, and what he means by that is it's not ours, like me and you, but it's our species. This is what these are. These are the ideas that we come up with. These are the things that we that we're doing, and these are the thing. This is this is what is playing out in the world. And I think that in order to change these things, that we need to have a transformation of consciousness in order to evolve to a higher state of being. In order to maybe you know, like I say sometimes expand our minds, you know, go out of our minds so we can go into our hearts, you know, and open up a little bit. So we are choosing to participate in what John Perkins calls a life economy, not a death economy. And the, the New Confessions tells us what we can do to turn it all around, turn the death economy into a life economy. And I think that these things are all connected, you know, politics, is not separate, you know, government and politics and corporations and economics and psychedelics and expanding consciousness and spirituality. These things are not separate things. They are, they all connect to each other. You know, at the end of the day, when we're talking about these, all of these things, what we're talking about is what is the best way for human beings to exist in this world? What is the best way that we can live in this world? What is the best way that we can organize society? What is the best way that we can improve ourselves on an individual level? What is the best way that we can do things where we're not causing damage and harm to the planet, to animals, to people around us? And what is the best way that we can find peace in our lives to live happy, healthy, and prosperous? And so I think that um, I, I, I'm just so so thrilled that I got an opportunity to spend an hour with, uh, with John Perkins, somebody that I admire greatly. Uh, and have so much respect for. When I first read his book, I think in 2007 or so, uh, I was just totally blown away. I mean, this was just such an amazing book. I, I can't, I can't tell you how 
like wonderfully written it is, how much detail, you know, it's like real life, you know, mission impossible kind of stuff, you know, like the, the, we don't go into the details of it in this, in this episode, but just go and get the book. I'll include the Amazon link and the details and the show notes. I'll include a bunch of links to his website and everything like that. But basically, you know, he was working for a company out of college and, uh, part of this consulting firm was to go to uh, countries that maybe had, you know, rich in resources or something and communicate with heads of state to try and organize loans for the World Bank and uh, different organizations to to set up uh, a situation where they would be dependent. They would have to then, um, you know, basically the heads of state would get rich, but the people would get fucked. And if the heads of state didn't play along and didn't go with the uh, with with the setup of the economic the economic hitman setup, then they were taken care of, assassinated, or overthrown, and uh, a new regime installed. And this is the uh, what he refers to as the jackals. So he go he really, you know, this book is so incredibly amazing. You have to get it. You have to read it if you want to understand anything about how the world works, how corporations function with government, and how uh, you know foreign uh, transactions and and deals are made. Why we're in the Middle East? Why we we you know go to different countries and do different things? All it's all explained in this book. It, he lays it all out there. You know, it's this is this is how the world works. You know, we'd like to think that the world works in a way where there's you know men negotiating things and and it's all nice and you know the the kind of uh, presentation that we get told in school and you know how a bill becomes a law and all this kind of stuff. When in reality, there's so much power, corruption, and wealth, and 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 just coercion and force and evil, you know, below the surface, and we don't really necessarily get to explore it until bombshell books like this are dropped and um and change the world you know um so you know the the economic hitmen uh you know it's 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 a real fascinating tale um you really have to go and and read this uh what me and john talk about are just you know some other things that are that are going on all of course relating to these things but we talk ab- about some of the work that he's been doing uh lately he is uh, part of this um, a nonprofit organization, Dream Change, uh, and he hosts uh, th- this uh, event called the Love Summit, uh, where he's um, it's basically a conference bringing together uh, a business conference that demonstrates how heart-centered people and organizations can transform the world. You know, it's like we're there's so many people that these days we seem so divided, you know. It's like, well, what are the biggest problems? Well, free speech, okay, race relations, um Black Lives Matter, um, you know, the corporations, they're the ones. You know, let's point the finger at them. Uh, okay, the government, it's all about the state. Let's abolish the state and then we'll have peace and everything will be fine. It's like, you know, there's it seems like I guess because it's our capacity to like, you know, we can't juggle all these things in our head all the, at, at once. So it's, I guess, a little easier for us to just pick one thing and say, that's the thing. But as John talks about, it's all connected. And, um, you know, really, the people do really have the power if we can wake up. And I think that, you know, the, another reason why I want him on the show is because this show is about waking up. This show is about waking up from the illusion that we don't have control and we don't have power in our lives. You know, ultimately we do, and that power that we have is our choices. We're able to make choices about where we spend our money and and how we go about living our lives, what we 
what we decide to believe and not believe. And, you know, the systems that we have out there in the world today, they're not serving us in our lives, in our individual lives, you know, and, and we're, we're just kind of playing by these outdated, archaic rules. But we're in a period of transition now. And I think that it's no coincidence that we're seeing a resurgence in the psychedelic world and we're seeing a resurgence in people being interested in politics again. And I think that Trump getting elected was a great thing because, you know, people's attentions now are folk, maybe not, they're not focused in the right place, but at least they're woken up to kind of like, you know, the, the emperor has no clothes sort of thing. You know, it's like, look, the, you know, the, the, this power that he, that Trump holds is, is dangerous. It's the power that's the problem. It's not necessarily the person, but we, we as people can affect change. We, we really can if we decide to care enough about it. Um, and so, yeah, so John has done just tremendous work with, like I said, you know, indigenous uh, cultures and work on the, you know, individual level of, you know, transforming your consciousness to a more heart-centered space and, um, and trying to just uh, talk about all of these sorts of evil organizations and power hungry greedy manipulating sociopaths and and parasites that inhabit all of our uh, archaic institutions of authority perceived authority you know it's it, we give these these institutions power by believing in their authority and i'm just somebody that doesn't believe in any sort of authority none whatsoever you know i don't want the world to be run by governments i don't want the world to be run by corporations i don't want the world to be run i want you to live your life and me to live my life. And, in the, and I want us to live our lives. I want every human being, if I could have a wish, my wish would be for every new child being born, to be born into a world that, that we will be showing them the best way to live and evolve and to get along as, as, as a unique, beautiful individual that they are. Give them the best opportunity. No indoctrination no you know conscription no forceful coercion and manipulation no you know uh predatory lending you know commercials and advertisements that just try and force feed kids sugar and get them all hyped up shove Adderall down their throats and sit them in desks all day i want a world that we are proud to offer to the next generation to say this is the best and you're going to have the best chance of being the best. Because I think the biggest tragedy of all time is giving a world over to a new generation of life and not really doing our best to make sure that they are entering into uh, something that we are proud to deliver to them. And that is true. That is true. That isn't filled, filled with lies and deceit. And enough with this taking economy and more towards a giving economy, a loving economy. And that only happens when we empower the individual to have direct experiences, respect the individual, have dignity and respect, and learn to, you know, learn that we're, learn that we're not all going to agree, and that's okay. And to respect our disagreements as long as we can live in peace 
And that might mean something like secession, you know, that might mean something like splitting up into smaller geographical territories where we can all live in our back to the archaic revival, as Terence McKenna talks about, in this decentralized local kind of economy where we, we or community rather, you know, where the community is is powerful, you know, the and we and and in in these societies, you know, because there's no way that we're gonna live in some kind of like crazy monolithic uni, unipolar power world, you know, this like one thing for everybody, one size fits all. No, we're seeing that that we're that's trying to happen in what John calls the death economy. They want everybody to just be like jammed in like fucking you know robots, just like. Everybody cookie cutter, you know, jammed into these little boxes. But that's not how people are. We're plastic. We're dynamic. We're ever changing. We're learning. We're expanding. We're growing. And we all have so much to offer and so much to give for ourselves. And by 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 giving to yourself and by giving yourself, uh, uh, having respect for individual and differences, it helps the better. It helps the 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 the, the larger collective. You know. Anyway, I don't want to go too uh, crazy with this intro. I've already gone about 17 minutes here, but I feel like it was important to kind of get my thoughts out because I recorded this podcast a little while ago and and I've been thinking a lot for a while uh, about it because everybody I think knows me to be somebody who is, you know, very anti-state. And you know, I don't really talk about I guess corporations so much. So you're going to hear John talk about that today. And, you know, I definitely agree with him. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a great podcast and I really, really admire this guy, uh, John Perkins. He's just doing really, really great things. Uh, like I said, he's speaking, he's writing, he's got these best-selling books. Uh, he's just a tremendous, uh, tremendous individual. And, um, you know, we're, we're lucky to, to have people like this, you know, not be assassinated by speaking the truth you know he's he's somebody who's brave and courageous for revealing the truth and uh and trying to push this message um that that he believes in so much which is you know love and a heart living in a heart space of love and acceptance and tolerance and respect for each other will be the changing difference in this world people taking action and being involved in their communities people getting back to communities type of uh, engagements where we're meeting and we're getting together, not just online, but in the physical space. And, you know, we're helping, uh, we're helping manifest the things that we want to see in the world, be the change that you want to see in the world. And that will uh, happen. Um, Creating your own realities, you know, and I talk about that a lot. And John talks about that in this podcast. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to get to the podcast first. I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who supports this show. Shout out to uh, my Patreon subscribers, new Patreon subscribers. I'm just so thrilled uh, at the at the people who have chosen to go onto Patreon. You can you can donate to this show. You can help support this show. I am 100% fan funded. I don't have any corporate overlords telling me what to do. If you notice. I pretty much go all over the place on this show. Sometimes I can get a little wild. Sometimes I take some risks and I put things out there that I'm not so sure of, but that's the kind of show that I want to keep this. I want to keep it fresh. I want to keep it unique. I want to keep it as real, as authentic, and as genuine as possible. You know, it just feels like to me that there's not so much of that out there today. And I'm not saying that I'm some great, you know, 
revealer of truth or anything like that. I just like to be me, communicate the things that I want to communicate in the way that I want to. And so I thank you all very much for choosing to support this show. You can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C. And you can um, you can just chip in for as little as a dollar. And that'll be a dollar a month. You know, you can go on there and you can just, you know, vote with your dollar, as John talks about in this show. You know, he says, let's start putting our money to things that we we care about that we want to see grow more of. So if you're a fan of the show and you want to see it grow more, you want to see me book bigger guests like John and keep it going and and keep this thing entertaining and fun, um, then great. You know, you can go ahead if you have some extra, you know, Federal Reserve notes that are just burning holes in your pocket and you just want to get rid of them. Great. Go on Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike Brank. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, our highest pledger so far, Bart Furch. Thank you, Bart. You are the man. And you got a t-shirt that's coming your way. And uh, please submit questions. I will answer them on the next podcast episode. Bart pledged $20. Shout out to my cousin, John. John Ficara. Thank you so much, John. Uh, you are an incredible human being, an intelligent human being. And I, and I, and I appreciate you so much for, for uh, contributing. And Carrie McRae, she's just a beautiful, wonderful human being as well. And and the great Mark Clare, host of the Lions of Liberty podcast that I was just recently on, will be a guest on this show in, in the future. But uh, recently, these are the recent Patreon uh, patrons to my Patreon. And uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, I, the show wouldn't be uh, the same without your support. Now, if you guys are like me and you don't have a lot of extra money laying around to just throw at stuff, because I know it could be, you know, you everyone's asking for a little support here, a little support there. Use my link, subscribe to this. Da, da, da. You know, just talk about the show if you enjoy it. Tell your friends. Um, you know, share it. You know, if I if I post if you like this episode and I post it on my social media, share it with people and uh, you know, like it. And obviously, of course, if you're listening here, uh, subscribe if you're new. Please subscribe. And I'm uh, I'm available everywhere podcasts are. Uh, everywhere. Um, Spotify, or sorry, I just submitted myself to Spotify, Google Play, um, everywhere. So just, I can't, I can't even think of all of them, but everywhere that there are podcasts available, I am there. And if there's somewhere that uh, I'm not, please let me, let me know. I'm on YouTube as well. And uh, you can follow me everywhere on social media at Mike Brank. And um, yeah, and, and if you like the show, that's, you know, the best way to support it is just by doing those few things. And of course, you know, going to iTunes and leaving a nice rating and review. Uh, it's, uh, it really helps the show. One of the first things that people look at when they decide to come on this show is how many ratings and reviews I have, you know, what kind of guests I have. And then that helps me get, you know, bigger name guests and stuff. So I've been getting, I've been getting the guests that I want to get. I still want to keep getting them and I still want to keep growing this show. And so by you guys, like, it's really you guys that are doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm just doing, I'm just doing this, which is, you know, kind of the easy part. You guys have to do the hard part of like, you know, hearing this and being like, all right, fine. For the hundredth time I've heard you say this, I'll go leave a stupid review if it helps your podcast so much. But uh, it really does. And not only helps my podcast, but uh, it really helps like my ego too. You know, it's like, it's just so nice to read these awesome reviews. So I want to read a quick review by FAZ0972, the latest review to come through. We have 62 five-star reviews on iTunes right now. This is incredible. This podcast has only been going on for a year. We have 62 
uh, five-star reviews. It's really amazing. It makes me feel so good to read these reviews. This review says, enjoying this podcast a lot. I've been really enjoying the varied guests on these podcasts. Subjects are excellent, and Mike does a great job on the interviews. Well, thank you. I really enjoy the message of self-freedom and a greater understanding that we can all enjoy with these sacraments. Yes, thank you very much. That is the message that I'm trying to preach, and I really appreciate that, you leaving these messages uh, for me on the ratings and reviews on iTunes. That is really you know, some of the best currency that you can contribute is the, are those ratings and reviews. Um, like I said, you know, if you don't have some extra scratch laying around to contribute to the Patreon, you can contribute in that way. And uh, you know, I'm going to start doing some more bonus stuff, and I'm going to start doing some exclusive content and some more video content. I always have a lot of ideas. It just takes time to execute them. Like I said, it's only me here in my little shop, my little Mycadelic setup here. It's just me. I do everything, all the editing, the booking, the, the everything. Anyway, this has been a really long intro, so I appreciate you guys sticking around to listen to this intro. Um, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with John Perkins. Well, not you guys, but I had the conversation with him. So <laughs> I hope you uh, enjoy it. Thank you again. I love you all very much. And um, I hope you uh, enjoy this show. Until next time. Thank you. Peace. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject the Authority is a lie. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. like I'm sure you've heard from many people, it was an eye-opening experience. It was an awakening experience is really what it is. And, um, you know, I really just really need to commend you and, and honor you and praise you for, for your tremendous courage and bravery to come forth, speak up and speak out and to write that book and then to go on, of course, with, uh, you know, having so much success with that book and I'm sure influencing a lot more people that are doing uh, amazing things now. And then to continue the work with you do with, with, with several other books and the writing that you do and the speaking that you do. So uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, John Perkins, uh, for being on the show, for being on my podcast, Mike Adelic, today, and for communicating with my audience about uh, your message and, and sharing a little bit of your story. Thank you, sir. Well, you're welcome, Mike, and it's—I have to say—it is definitely my pleasure. I, I, you know, I enjoy doing this. I'm, I'm sorry the world is in the condition it's in, but since it is, 
this is a good time to be alive and work on changing it. And I appreciate uh, you know, the podcast you're doing and all the information you're bringing to people. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, may you live in interesting times. And I think that we certainly do live in interesting times. And there's a lot that's happening in the world today, and there's been a lot happening in the world, uh, you know, ever since you released that book, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. So for the people that don't really know uh, what it's what the book is about, first of all, I, of course, recommend getting the book. It's an eye-opening book. It's a gripping, compelling book. Um, so go and get that. <clears throat> and because it, it kind of all started with that. Is, is that right? Well, yeah, I'd written five books before that, but they were on indigenous cultures, which is another love of my life. And I spent a lot of time, I, you know, I, I, I take groups to, to work with and live with and study with um, shamans in Colombia every year and also the Mayan shamans in Guatemala every year and, and also to the Amazon. And if people want to join me, they can go to my website, johnperkins.org and find out about those trips. So I have this this deep love of, of indigenous people. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Amazon many years ago, and I kept that. So I'd written five books on on those cultures, and then after 9-11, knew that I had to expose what I understood about a system that's become so pervasive around the world, a, a real empire, I, I, you know, which is not to, to condone anything that happened in 9-11, but to say that that motivated me uh, to tell all about this other side of my life, the economic hitman side. And I also want to say, Mike, that uh, in the past year, I've, I've come out with another book published by the same publisher as Confessions called The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which goes a lot deeper into many of those things and brings it up to date. The Confessions of an Economic Hitman was published 12 years ago. This one's 12 years later, and it really outlines a strategy for how to turn this around. So I would encourage your listeners not to buy Confessions of an Economic Hitman, buy the new Confessions of an Economic Hitman, because it, it has most of what was in the old one, plus a lot more, and things that have been updated. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. Um, that, that's, that's definitely a good suggestion, because that's totally what we want to focus on today, is some of those, I believe it's 15 new chapters that you added to that book, and where it's focusing on the solutions, right? Because where Economic Hitman was such a great, gripping, compelling, New York Times bestselling book that that uh, that this new one is probably the one that you want to get with that offers the solution, the path forward. That's fantastic. And, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about your experience with the Peace Corps in the Amazon and getting sick and how a shaman healed you. I, I've heard that story a few times. I've heard you, I've heard you tell that. And, <clears throat> yeah, so I guess that might be a good place to start, actually, is, is around that time. So I'm wondering because, you know, on this show, we, we explore those those realms, you know, the mystical, the the... The, the shamanistic realms, the the realms sometimes that psychedelics can can provide to you, um, also the realms of you know meditation where we're going inward and discovering ourselves on an, on our inner journey, and I know that you recently have also written some some fantastic uh, articles. One of them being uh, titled "You as the Creator." I think a couple months ago was published on JohnPerkins.org. So. With that being said, this 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 experience in the Amazon with the shaman, what did that what did that provide for you? I mean, ra- other than you know saving your life, I mean that that definitely had something to do with it. But what was it about that kind of struggle and, and stuff that gave you a kind of a different vision or a different perspective? Yeah, it, it actually changed my life totally and and my perspective on the world in a way. I graduated from business school. I'd gone in the Peace Corps uh, and find myself deep in the Amazon, 
uh, living with the Shuar people who were hunters and gatherers, very traditional lives, uh, warriors also. They, they were still conducting some of their intertribal warfare. And I got very, very sick. Um, I was dying. I, I couldn't keep any food down. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. And I, I couldn't really get out. It was a two-day walk through dense jungle to the nearest dirt road where you might catch a rickety old bus that would take another two days to get me to the closest city where there were medical facilities. There was no way I could do that. I was too weak and too sick, resigned to dying. And then this shaman performed a healing on me and one night uh, took me on this shamanic journey. And during this journey, what I saw was that I'd grown up uh, from a family that goes back over 300 years in New England, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and very traditional food. So we washed our hands a lot, very hygienic. We ate meat and potatoes and nothing very interesting. And suddenly I'm with people who've never seen a bar of soap and who eat some very, very strange foods, in my opinion, including something called chicha that they drink. It's a, it's a kind of beer mm. and it's made out of women chewing manioc root and spitting it it ferments into a kind of beer mm, and delicious they, yeah well it actually is if you're used to it and you mix it with water to drink because what they know what all amazonian people know is that the rivers uh, have a lot of organic matter in them you cannot drink water in the amazon unless you mix it with something like chicha or something that's alcoholic that, kill, that kills the bacteria they don't they don't know about bacteria but they knew that that worked and so I'm drinking a lot of chicha because you got to hydrate a, a lot in the tropics and eating squirming white grubs and other foods that they consider delicacies, but to me were very weird. On the shamanic journey, I saw that every time I ate these foods or drank this chicha, I heard a voice saying, son, it'll kill you, but probably my mother. At the same time, I saw how incredibly healthy the schwa are, or were and are still, um, you know, the men are built like Tarzan. They, they're hunters and gatherers. They carry heavy dead animals out of the forest. Mm. The women, well, I was in my early 20s. Uh, the women were looking very good. They were yeah. quite <laughs> it was Anyway. I bet, uh, yeah. <laughs> so on this, on this shamanic journey, what I, what I came to understand in one night was that the food and drink were not killing me. These were healthy foods and drinks, very organic, very nutritious. Uh, it was my mindset. It was this voice telling me that they would kill me. I understood that so deeply. And the next morning I woke up and I was totally healthy. The shaman then later to, uh, required as payment for this that I become his apprentice. And I have to tell you, this was a long time ago. There was no future in shamanism then. Mm -hmm. uh, there is now. But in those days, I graduated from business school. I saw no future in it all. I had no desire to go through the rather rigorous training of a shaman. Uh, but the guy had saved my life. So I did it, and I became very enthralled with it. And later also studied with shamans up in the Andes, and the Quechua shamans, and later in, in Persia, uh, Iran, what we know as Iran, in Egypt, and in Indonesia, and many other places, uh, Guatemala with the Mayans, and on and on. And everywhere I studied with shamans, I discovered they had the same concept that human life reality is molded by our perception. And, you know, that's what happened to me. So we could say there was an objective reality. That was the food and chicha that I was eating and drinking. I had a perception that it was killing me. So my reality became that it was killing me. 
once I changed that perception and understood and, and really got it into my system that this food was good for me, everything changed. Mm. And I found this, this is the key to shamanism around the world. It's also the key to psychotherapy, to quantum physics, uh, to philosophy. We know that, you know, there, there really is no such thing as the United States, Canada, Mexico, Russia, China. There's no such thing as corporations or an economy, except as we perceive them. And once enough people perceive something or codify it into law, it becomes objective reality. And that's really the key now to understanding that we we have an objective reality of an earth with amazing natural and human resources and all kinds of resources. We have a perceived reality that says that corporations have to exploit these and maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. And that's created a, an economic system that today is failing us. It's consuming itself into extinction. So all we have to do is change the perception. It's not about maximizing profits. It's about uh, making a decent rate of return for investors who invest in things that will create what I call a life economy, an economy that is itself a renewable resource, that's sustainable, that's truly sustainable, and that truly enhances all life on this planet. It's all about perception, Mike. Right. Yes. So it's this giving, this giving system rather than this taking system. And I have to say, it sounds like to me that you are a shaman. You know, I mean, you you sound like you are a modern day shaman, somebody that, you know, somebody that we can understand in our context of, you know, writing and, you know, appearing on shows like this and giving talks that you that you give and the work that you do. And my understanding of things is that, you know, usually a shaman is, is somebody that goes through a difficult ordeal and is able to kind of, you know, go through hell and back again or so and come out on the other side. And it sounds like that you did that literally, you know, on the verge of death and then back and rebirth and, and reborn to 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 shed light on on an important issue because in in a, in a way you know we're we're organisms and we live in this organism uh, you know i've heard you say that you know we're in this kind of living space shuttle you know this this thing that that you put so eloquently in in your talk and it's like yeah i mean you know much the same way that we're doing things that could potentially kill us or make us sick we're doing the same thing to the planet and if we are able to kind of heal ourselves on an individual level, then we can probably do that on a collective level. And 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 uh, yeah, I want to talk ab about uh, this more because you're you're writing with uh, the power of the perceptions to alter our reality, and that theme I think is everything. And and so if you could just you know talk a little bit more about some of those things, like maybe we could start with, um, you know, I guess kind of understanding that we have a choice, right? When it comes down to these things in, in terms of believing in these corporations and, and stuff like that, that we, that we all have a kind of choices to make and we can kind of make our voice heard. I've, I've heard you talk a lot about that and write about that. What are some ways that we can go about, you know, doing that and, and to try and make some real change in this world that a lot of us find is kind of shitty, you know? Well, you know, let's um, start, Mike, by I think the, the fact is that we know that um, we've created a, a global economic, and it's really more than economic, it's political and social system uh, that just isn't working. Uh, the glaciers are melting, there's no question. Uh, the oceans are rising, there's climate change, uh, uh, species are going extinct at horrendous rates. 
on and on and on. We know that the system's failing us. We know that our economy is based on consuming resources that are limited or that like oil, even if it's enough of it, burning it, uh, it's, going, it's polluting the atmosphere so much it's, it's going to destroy us. We know this. And we also know that this is being caused by big corporations, much more than governments. The governments are run by corporations. And we've known this for a long time. It's true in China. It's true in, in Russia. It's certainly true here. You know, perhaps the greatest gift that Trump has given us is, is to make this very, very manifest. It's very obvious under the Trump administration. Right. It should have. Yeah, you tra- you wrote about that in the Trump as as a shadow, like all these shadow elements are now coming out, and it's kind of forcing us to recognize, right? Yeah, and and it was true under Obama, whose whose financial policies were run basically by Goldman Sachs, another uh, Wall Street insiders right. who were on his cabinet. It was true under Clinton. It was certainly the Bushes both came out of big oil, so it's been true for a long time. But Trump has made it very very manifest, brought it out into the open because he's still so involved in, in making profits off businesses that probably gained from his personal connections as a, as a president. In any case, we know we've created this, this system and it's based in big corporations. And we also know that big corporations are just groups of people. Um, but something significant happened in 1976 that changed everything. It changed perception. It created, in a way, it, 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 it created the problems we have today. They've been growing up until then, but that really hit. So let me just say that before 1976, when I was a student in, in business school, I was taught that a good CEO makes a decent rate of return for investors, but also takes good care of his employees, health care and pension funds, et cetera, takes good care of his customers and in the communities where his business is involved. Not only does a, a, a good CEO require that his corporation pay taxes, imagine that, but also contributes money to local school systems and, and recreational facilities and things like that in the community where the corporation is, is working, is deeply involved. In 19, and, and that's what I was taught. In, in 1976, that all changed when Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize in economics. And amongst other things, Friedman's probably his most significant statement was that the only responsibility of business is to maximize shareholder profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. That's not what I've been taught. That changed everything. It, 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 it didn't just come from it. It didn't been a growing consensus. An author named uh, Hayek, who was part of the Austrian School of Economics, had, had brought this up before. But, but Friedman really, really got it out there. And uh, immediately Reagan and Thatcher bought into it. And every U.S. and, and every major president and, and prime minister around the world has bought into this ever since. And it is the single thing that's that's created this insane economic system that we have, something I call a death economy mm-hmm. that's based on militarization, for one thing, huge budgets spent on, on war, killing people or threatening to kill them, and on destroying the earth, killing the very resources upon which we all depend. It's a death economy, and but it's based on this perception that the job of Business is to maximize profits, regardless right. of all the other costs. And we need to change that perception in order to create what I call a life economy uh, that will be based on cleaning up pollution, uh, mining all the plastic that's out there in the ocean, 
you know, also mining all the oil that's leaked out of every oil development site in the world and most gas stations in the world and, and cleaning it. So cleaning up pollution of all kinds, regenerating destroyed environments, new technologies that recycle, that, that even have a much greater use of, 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 the, of the sun and the air and uh, make better use of the water. Uh, technologies in that that create a whole new system for transportation, communications, energy, banking, everything, things that do not uh, destroy the earth, but, but recycle, reuse, and come up with new methods. It's a very, very exciting time to create this new economy. And it's happening. Uh, we need to make it happen faster. Yeah, definitely. It is happening. And I think the more and more people getting exposed to to new ideas, different ideas, thinking outside the box, and like you said, engaging in more of a life economy rather than the, the kind of old model, the death economy, which is which is really you know, it's, it's, it's like a distorted system. It's, it's, it's something that I think, you know, a lot of, uh, has to do with these central bankers. And obviously you have uh, experience with this, with, with working as, as a economic hitman, you know, the, the arranging these loans and the, and the debt and, you know, the federal reserve printing money and the inflation rates going up and this, this cycle that kind of keeps people dependent and in debt and nobody says no, it's, it's easy to, you know, for people to get corrupted because we have this system of money where we need to have uh, money and it's easy and people are uh, attached to it. So it's almost like we have this kind of like foreign distorted uh, thing happening where these systems just, just make, we can't keep them in check or, or they're just run amok and they're out of control. So with the, with, with all the things that, that have been going on and, and like you said, nine 11 was a catalyst for you. And, and I, you know, I remember that time and I remember people getting active and involved, but it seems like, and it seems like now with Trump back and, you know, maybe some people are, are waking up a little bit more, but really this has been consistent and this kind of global empire building is, is, is getting bigger and bigger. And so when we talk about kind of us being responsible and, and having like the power to, to do something to change, to change this, uh, what, what, is, what are some other like ways in which people can uh, stay informed or, or kind of connect with, with other people? I mean, social media seems to be really good at organizing and getting people together uh, but are there are there other kinds of alternative ways that you find that are successful for for getting this message out there? Well, I think, Mike. First of all, we have to understand that corporations run the world, and yet they are totally dependent on you, and your listeners, and me, uh, to support them, to buy their goods and services, uh, to invest in them, to work for them, uh, to make to to, to get to, to get government policies that that help them it's our job and i think it's important to recognize that i'm not sure that our political system is a democracy anymore but the marketplace is if we'll just use it as such right we we the consumers the employees and so on have tremendous power you know i remember when i was in college there was apartheid in south africa and the rivers in this country were on fire with pollution. Some of them, some of them are just terribly polluted, including the Charles River in Boston that I, where I went to, where I went to school. Uh, and we get corporations to clean these up. We get them to open their doors wider to women and minorities. Uh, we have tremendous power, and every corporate executive knows 
about uh, Bear Stearns going out of business, Eastern Airlines going out of business, Woolworths, Polaroid, Kodak. The list is, is huge of corporations that have gone out of business because they did not respond to their customers or they had poor management uh, policies. Every CEO knows this. Mm -hmm. And I speak at a lot of CEO conventions, uh, business conventions, where there are a lot of CEOs. And, and, I, and I hang out with these people. I know a lot of these people. And they're very frustrated. A, a, a typical example is a CEO who, who told me, you know, I want a, my company to be greener. I want to pay our workers a fair wage or I want to clean up the pollution. But I'm afraid it might cost me in the short run a half a percentage of market share and my primary investors, my big stockholders, will, will fire me and replace me with someone who only cares about market share. And so what they say is, for heaven's sakes, get my customers to insist that I do the right thing. And so, you know, my advice to your listeners, to all of us, is to pick a corporation that you would like to see change. It could be Monsanto. That seems to be public enemy number one. Or, or Exxon or Nike or, or, or Kmart, Walmart, whatever it is. And once a week, send them an email. And try not to make them bad guy. Try to say something like, you know, I, if, I, I like your product. You might want, not want to say this about Monsanto, but all the others. I like your product. I love your product. I, I want to buy your product, but I won't buy it anymore until you clean up the pollution you caused or pay your workers a fair wage or something along these lines. And to Monsanto, you can say, I'm not going to buy any products that have Monsanto in them uh, until you start producing seeds that poor people can use without the huge toxic uh, use of toxic fertilizers and insecticides, etc. Make something that truly is good for the world. Uh, you know, if, if every one of your listeners picks a company and sends an email once a week saying something like that, I want to help you, company, but you got to do the right thing. you got to create a life economy. Right. And, and also send it to all your social networking circles, ask them to send it to the company and to all their social networking circles. And these executives have told me, if I have 100,000 emails like that, I can then go to my top stockholders and say, hey, we've got to change or we're going to go out of business just like, um, just like Woolworths did or, or, or whatever, whatever company, whatever field they happen to be in. Uh, we've got to change. And so... What we have to recognize is the, the leverage point here is corporations. Yes, voting in our political elections is important, but even more important, I think, is understanding that corporations have the power and we can force corporations to change. And many of the executives out there are looking for us to force them to change. Right. Yes. Because, you know, these corporations do function, like you said, with Milton Friedman's comment on, you know, their only function is to maximize shares. It's like, you know, it's kind of like this this entity that's been designed to have superiority over human beings and, and, and just trample human beings. And, and, and we, you know, we hear like for profit over people and things like that, when really their incentive should be to provide goods and services that we want to buy. So I think there is actually a chance at communicating with these kind of, you know, mega monolithic uh, entities sometimes even, you know, like Walmart or something like that, no matter how big it is, I think 
getting people to get engaged and to voice their opinions and go out and, and put them out there would be important because at the end of the day, these people are trying to make a profit and they are incentivized. So they do want to kind of give a little bit to to the customers and make sure that they don't go out of business, like you're saying. But what do we do wh- wh- about the ones that are kind of, you know, all embedded in this, you know, I, I know something, uh, a term that's come out recently that's been very popular, but something that I've been paying attention to for a long time and something that you've shed light on is kind of like this, you know, the the deep state is what they're calling it now. These agencies and these contract for hire, you know, these jackals, as you put it, and this sorts of thing, crony bankers and, you know, in bed with politicians and stuff. How do we really combat something like that? It, it seems like to me that it, it, that, and I've been thinking about this for a while, and it seems like to me that I think it's a a two-pronged approach. And I want to see if you agree with me and something like you said, kind of voicing our opinions, being active, but also kind of working on ourselves and, and altering our, our, you know, what, what, what do we allow and what do we not allow? What do we stand up for? And what do we, and what do we say? No, I won't take it anymore. I know you're a big fan of Thomas Paine and so am I, you know, it's like, when are we going to have people the wake up and just and just demand change you know that we're not going to we're not going to tolerate it on an individual level and we're not going to tolerate it on a communal community level so i, I don't know if there's really a question there, but if you want to expand on that a little bit that'd be great well yeah i, I think it's important <laughs> that they look at their own uh, self uh look at your own perception what i call a perception bridge that moves us from one objective reality to the other. So my perception bridge in the Amazon was, so the objective reality one was chicha, beer, and the foods I was eating. The bridge that took me to, the bridge I crossed was that originally was that the perception that it was killing me. So that took me to to the reality two, which was it was killing me. As soon as I changed that bridge, as soon as I crossed a different bridge, and you can envision this as a circle of reality one, and then a little bridge that goes over to another circle of reality two, as soon as I changed that bridge, that perception bridge, to this food is making me healthy, my reality changed. And I think every one of us can look at that. So if we are really, I'm really angry. You know, I'll use myself as an example. It's, it's different for everybody. I'm really angry. I've been angry for a long time. And I used to throw stones, go out and protest and get my head beat, beat open by <laughs> police. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it really I didn't do much good. It was very destructive and self-destructive. I'm still angry, but I'm having a hell of a good time with it. I'm writing books. I love writing. I just really love writing and talking to you. And I'm traveling all over the world. I'm, I'm headed to Russia in a couple of weeks to speak at, at a big event in in St. Petersburg, and then on to Kuzitstan, and then Rome, and and I speak, and I love this. It's you know, it's exciting. I'm still really angry, but nobody would guess it. I'm having fun with it, and it isn't eating away at me anymore. It isn't threatening to cause a heart attack or cancer. So I'd, I would encourage every listener to look at what what is it, what are the realities you, you're facing. My reality was I'm angry, and I love to write. <laughs> and once I you know. Once I once I cross that perception bridge that says I'm going to use my writing to deal with my anger, it took me to a new reality that's much saner, and much more comfortable. Every every listener can can do that on a different level. Uh, we all have passions and we all have skills. So ask yourself, what are your passions? What are your skills? If you're a carpenter, how do you how do you use that carpentry to create a life economy and to, to talk to all your clients and let them know that that's what you're doing? If you're a teacher. Or a plumber, 
or uh, a parent? What do you do individually? And then beyond that, each and every one of us can get involved in these consumer movements, like I mentioned, where you, you pick a company and you convince that company that it has to change. These people like the jackals you talked about who mm-hmm. – who are out there, there's no question, but they're totally dependent on this system. They're totally dependent on these corporations buying into this idea that their goal is to maximize profits, regardless of the social and environmental costs. Once we change that, everything changes. There are sociopaths running corporations. I earlier mentioned executives who, who want to see their companies get better. There are some out there, there's no question, that don't give a damn. You know, we saw them in Enron, we've seen them lots of places. But they're not driven by profit. They're driven by success. And as long as we define maximizing profits as the measurement of success, then that's what will drive them. Mm. But if we define success as being measured by how socially and, and environmentally good the company is, how much it's creating, how much it's, it's, it's participating in creating a life economy, suddenly everything changes. The sociopaths will be the first people yeah. to buy it on a big level. Yeah. It, and it's, it seems so obvious, John. It seems like, it seems like, wow, like, wouldn't we want to all work together to create a better life for everybody? So, so maybe, you know, people aren't as angry and that we're, we're a little happier and that we're doing more good and we're bringing more life and, and those sorts of things. And I really like what you said about managing your anger. And it sounds like to me that you're channeling it. You're channeling your anger. You're using the the power that comes along with that anger, that negative energy, and harnessing it to uh, immensely productive works. I mean, mind, mind-shattering, mind-blowing works that, that, that you're doing and changing people's lives, inspiring people to do better. And so the approach that, that I respect so much that you're taking is this holistic approach. It's, it's not necessarily just one thing it's it's a whole compartment a whole uh, area of things and so thank you for that and and um you know i know a lot of people and i and i used to be kind of firmly in this camp as well that just thought well if we just kind of you know got rid of uh, you know, people's, if we just can convince people's belief system that, uh, that, you know, maybe these big organizations like governments and religions and, you know, there's just these giant institutions. If, if people can just kind of stop giving them so much and putting so much faith into them that maybe we could start to see things develop in a more local kind of community centric kind of way. But it seems like to me that the mainstream media these days is really, really, uh, you know, kind of on the offensive, it seems like. It seems like the mainstream media is kind of against the people and they're like selling fear. And I know that your first book, in fact, or your, uh, not your first book, but your first uh, book in the series of the Confessions uh, of an Economic Hitman books um, that came out, the, the, the one that made the New York Times bestseller list, wasn't even reviewed, right, by the, by the New York Times until eventually they, they had to review it. So what is it, like how, what, what's going on with this, this media kind of web that we live in, this kind of, you know, what seems like almost this omnipresent kind of weird Orwellian media world that we that we've created that kind of seems to get a lot of people trapped up in this kind of way of thinking you're talking about what what's known as the mainstream media yeah right exactly and it's owned by big corporations right or either outright ownership for the most part or a few outlets that aren't uh, are owned by their advertisers essentially 
And and so there. So once again, uh, the key to changing them is convincing the corporations that, that we've got them that they've got to change, and they want they want to create a level playing field. So if the executive at at, at one particular uh, retail company, let's say Nike, uh, decides that they want to pay their workers in Indonesia a lot more money. They also want to implement rules that will make sure that Reebok does the same thing and everybody else. So so the key to all of this is through the corporations, and that's the key to the media too. But I also want to point out that what we're talking about here is what's known as the mainstream media. And actually, I think the mainstream media today is you. I think it's the Internet. I think it's the blogs that I write and post on johnperkins.org and so many other people. There's, the information's getting out there. There's no question. Yeah. As you pointed out, that my book was not reviewed in the New York Times. It was on their bestseller list for 70, I think it was 73 weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and not reviewed by them. They never did review it. They finally wrote a major article, a feature article about the phenomena of the book. Um, but despite the fact they didn't review it, it stayed on their bestseller list because of people like you. Because of so many outlets that are not part of what we think of the mainstream media, but which which are, I think, now becoming the mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't even I don't buy. I've given up buying or even reading the New York Times, which I used to read and the Wall Street Journal. I don't bother. Right. I don't want any of the news channels on television. I do do a lot. On the internet, I I love Amy Goodman, Democracy Now. I love what you're doing. I love what there's a lot of information out there. There's a and, and I like NPR radio. There's there's a lot. You know, none of it's perfect, and we have to sift through it all. But more than anything else, we must fe- not feel victimized. You know, it's hear people saying, "Well, there's nothing we can do. The system's too big. It's too strong. Or the reptilians have taken over, or or whatever." Have they? <laughs> <And> that, <laughs> People say that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a sign of a victim. Uh, we're not victims. It's, it's perception that we need to change. It's, 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 it's understanding that we have the power, that corporations are running the world, and we have the power to change that. And uh, we, we must take on that responsibility and accept it. I mean, you talked about Tom Paine, who, you know, during the Revolutionary War. Yeah. It's such a huge influence on changing people's perceptions and that's this is a time when we need that again it's you, you know it wasn't about saying oh the well actually in 1773 it was commonly believed throughout the colonies that, that the british were invincible strongest army in the world and then george washington stood up before the continental congress and he recalled a time 20 years earlier during the French and Indian War when he was at the Battle of the Monongahela, when a crack British army under one of its best generals, Braddock, huge army, was terribly defeated. Braddock himself was killed, as were many, many of his men, by a handful of Indians under the direction of a few French. And so Washington stood up before the Continental Congress and said, those British are not invincible. All we got to do is hide behind trees like the Indians. <laughs> it's the perception. Yeah. And then Tom Paine started writing things and Tom Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. And they took this to a new level and then they got it out there. And so, you know, Paine's, uh, these, these are the times that tried men's souls. And some are patriots and so on and so forth. And he says, he says, and so we've got to take action. 
And and that 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 bit of that essay, which I talked a lot about, as you said in my blogs on johnperkins.org, people can go and look it up now. Um, was read to every soldier in Valley Forge. Washington demanded it be read to every soldier. It was read to millions of people in bars, taverns, churches. People who couldn't read heard it throughout the land. It changed perception because, again, Washington had understood that the British were not invincible. They could be defeated. And Payne and other writers took this to another level and said, okay, get off your butts, do something. We're at one of those times now uh, where we can no longer say we're the victims. The system's too powerful. It's entrenched. There's some uh, awful force that's come down from Pleiades or someplace else that's, that's uh, controlling us. You know, people have always been tempted to say that there were forces outside themselves, but the fact of the matter is it's our perceptions that control each of us individually and it's our perceptions that control us as societies. Wow, yeah, it's it's these are the times that that try men's souls and you know, I'm such a fan of uh of the work of uh of of Joseph Campbell, famous author and mythologist Joseph Campbell who mm-hmm. talks about the hero's journey and and kind of you know, kind of that 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 story and how that story has has influenced and taken on many shapes and one of them that you know I I attach to uh, very much. I'm a big Star Wars nerd. You know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I love I love the series. I love the storytelling of of good versus evil. And it seems like to me, it's like you know, people will go and they'll watch these movies and they'll they'll get all excited and they'll cheer cheer for the heroes and the rebels and you know and and against the big bad machines that 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 are trying to crush us. But then in in reality, it's kind of like you know, a, a lot of people do kind of resign to the fact that maybe somebody else will do it or, or something like that. But I think really in the time that we live now, we're seeing more and more and with the power of the internet, the power of blogs like yours and podcasts like mine and, you know, the the kind of work that people are doing out there to connect and social media, there is this this kind of sense of we can do this. And I know uh, a, a past guest uh, on the show that was uh, was talking about how, you know, if you if you had said to people, you know, in in 1989 or whatever that the or it was like the day before, I think, like uh, like March 10th, uh, 1990, that the Soviet Union was going to fall uh, or 1991, whenever whenever it fell. I, I don't know the exact date, but if you said the day before when the Soviet Union fell that it was going to fall, people would probably look at you like you were crazy. But these things do happen. Change does happen. And, and it gets there by spreading the message and doing the work uh, like you have, uh, like you have been doing what I, what I'm trying to do uh, now. So uh, <clears throat> a quick question regarding like, you know, with the, with the, the corporations behaving in the way that they do and, you know, kind of leaning on government and government leaning on them. It, I want to get a little bit more of like your sense of where the, the role of, of the politicians play in this, because I really like the things that you have to say about this. I really like uh, what I've read about how, and, and what, what I've seen from you talk about with this revolving door of American politicians, it doesn't really matter who's in there. They all got ties to the big banks, big oil. I mean, for God's sake, we have we have Rex Tillerson. <laughs> you know, we just they just put the they just put the oil guy right in there. They went straight to the to the source this time. So I'm wondering, is it like, you know, with that apparatus functioning the way it does and so out in the open in the way that they're functioning now with people kind of you know, with the situation that we have now, how, how, how can, um, 
you know, what, what's your take on that? Like, what's your take on the role of policy? Like, do you think we can really, should we limit the scope and size of the government? Should we limit the responsibilities that these politicians have? Or should, I mean, what, what would be a solution to try and maybe say, you know, because the corporations are kind of leaning on them and you have, have experience with this as well, right? Uh, well, what's the, that, that, can you explain a little bit further about that relationship, that kind of uh, contractor and lobbyist kind of scheme that, that, that happens down there? Well, yeah, Mike, you just covered a lot of territory there, and I want to go. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I, t- go I have back. a tendency to do that. My apologies. I want to go back to your comment about Joseph Campbell and, sure. and Star Wars and, and, and these kinds of things. Um, you know, Joseph Campbell, brilliant, and, and, you know, he always pointed out that mythology, uh, the, the tales of the Knights of the Round Table, Beowulf, all the ancient mythologies were basically psychological guidance. Mm-hmm. They were, they took the place of psychologists in a, in a way, in our, and, and they were, they were there to teach people, uh, how to deal with problems in life. Uh, the, the great, the Grail quest, and he t- he talks extensively about how the, the questing for the Grail was really quest questing for enlightenment, questing for to to, to meet demons, dragons, go into the darkest place in the forest and and, and confront uh, black knights who are going to try to stop you, maidens who are going to seduce you, the dragons and demons, and those stories were really about how we have to confront our own internal demons and dragons in order to move into our own enlightenment, our own space, our own self-awareness, better balance in our lives. I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you, I'm very familiar with that, having gone through the experience of being an economic hitman and come out of it. Right. Uh, that was going into that darkest place. Uh, now, when we look at Star Wars, for example, and these other shows that you mentioned and movies that are so popular today, a lot of them are really telling that same story, but it isn't so obvious to us. We're not, in a way, we're not brought up with that. In the old days, people were really brought up as the, the stories were told orally, as 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 I've heard so many times with the Schwa and the Atra and other Amazonian people. They sit around at night, and they all have similar types of legends that are there to guide them. And and you know, if you look at Star Wars, for example, Yoda is very clear where he's where he's talking about going within. He's a, he's a meditator. He's a Buddha. And, 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 and that message in Star Wars is very much about that. Uh, but we, don't, we, we tend not to look at these stories as being about them. We tend to look at them as being the, the warrior. You know, the, the people in the olden days could have looked at Sir Galahad and the other knights as, as just that, knights with swords that were out uh, fighting evil and fighting other knights. But they understood that that was really about the knight within them. And if we can understand that these forces that are being shown in these movies are really about how we can do that internally. That's an important one, but our media seems to have lost that. And I think, unfortunately, I think film is an easy place to lose that in because it's so, so visual and, and, and audio and it, it often misses the deeper meaning. So, but it's still there that it's about that journey within the hero's journey and how we confront our own inner demons and dragons in order to move forward. And in that process, we also move our society and our culture forward. And this brings us to the second part of what you were just discussing, the politicians, uh, where we are today. That, you know, today these politicians are controlled by big corporations. Uh, let's go, if we go back to right after 9-11, and the discussion about going whether to attack uh, Iraq or not, 
the largest demonstration ever on the Washington Mall occurred opposing us going into Iraq. It was bigger than the demonstrations in the Vietnam War. It's bigger than the I Have a Dream uh, event with Martin Luther King Jr. It was huge, but it got very little press. And the, and the Congress didn't listen to it. Our elected officials didn't listen to the people speaking because they were listening to the big corporations who wanted war because they make a lot of money off war. Wall Street makes a lot of money off war. Raytheon and, and, and General Motors and General Dynamics and General, all the generals, General Electric, yeah. they all make money off war. So the politicians were listening to that. And today, the same thing. We, we know that people in this country want better health care. But the politicians are really listening to those who make money off less health care for the normal people. And you can go on and on and on with this. You can talk to people across Texas where, the, where they're, they're considering building a wall, and they'll all tell you they don't want a wall, that the wall doesn't, won't do any good either. But there's this, this, this movement to build this wall because it's going to make a lot of money for a lot of people. And, and, and then it takes on this element of uh, you know, the, 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 the tweets and the sound bites and so on that become very rigged toward that. But we have to understand that all of this is driven by the big money. It's driven by Wall Street. It's driven by the big corporations. And they are dependent on you and your listeners and me, ultimately. We have to speak out. And we've had tremendous success. Seatbelts, getting foods labeled as to whether they have, how, much, how many calories they have, how many grams of protein, how many grams of fat, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, on and on. We've had tremendous power. Now we need to ratchet this up a notch and say we want every corporation out there to be dedicated to creating a life economy, an economy that in itself is a sustainable resource, a renewable resource, a renewable resource. And we're only going to uh, patronize companies that are committed to moving in that direction. And it's up to, it's up to all of us to make this happen. That's, and that's truly what democracy is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I see it happening a lot, especially with my generation of people, you know, like uh, people in their 20s and, and early 30s. They they seem to want to vote with their dollar more and kind of invest in things that are do you know, companies that are doing the right thing, you know, being responsible uh, and all that stuff. And so that's a good sign. I, I like that trend that's happening. But then you have this kind of massive machine with the corporations and government all in, in, in bed with each other. And they're, they're still kind of functioning on that old model and they're kind of plowing through. And we saw this with the uh, you know, code access pipeline and the protests and the people there and the way that they were treated. And, uh, um, you know, just the horrible stuff that was going on, the way that indigenous people are treated. And it's this kind of, you know, you, tell, you call it the death, the death economy. And it's like this broken window fallacy kind of thing where it's like, all right, well, we're just going to build things. You know, we're going to break things, then we're going to build things. And, and, you know, it's just like that's not getting anybody anywhere. That's not serving humanity at all. And then, like you had mentioned, it becomes this kind of like circus sideshow that the media whips up and gets everybody involved in. Um, and then sometimes we see things happen in places of the world where it really reaches a breaking point and it gets out of control. And yeah. uh, recently we've seen this happen in Venezuela. Now, I don't really know exactly what has happened down there, but I was hoping maybe, I don't know if you have a clue into, into what that situation is like, 
but it seems like to me that it reached a breaking point recently and the people are really upset and they're in the street and there's some things that are happening that's really bad. Um, so could, could you elaborate on some of that? Do you, do you know what's happening over there in Venezuela? It's, yeah, no, I, this, it's very complex. There must be amazing stories behind the stories that I don't, yeah. that I'm not familiar with these days. But what I can say is that this goes back a long time. So in the 50s and the 60s and, and, and on, Venezuela was the wealthy, had the, had the wealthiest and largest middle class in Latin America. It was phenomenal. It was all based on oil. So then the oil companies became very powerful and the oil interest in Venezuela became very, very powerful. They had a president named Perez who, as president of Venezuela, became the wealthiest or at least one of the wealthiest, probably the wealthiest man in Latin America as president. Huge corruption. Yeah. And it was all around oil. You know, oil can cause huge problems for, com- for countries that have it, as we've seen time and time again. And, and then that eventually that led to Chavez, and, and Chavez was very charismatic. I think tried to do some good things, but he was he was a very lousy manager and caused a lot of problems. And now we got Maduro in there, who's 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 not even who's not charismatic and continues to cause horrible problems. So it's a very deep seated issue. But it all started because the people of Venezuela, this very well off middle class, allowed uh, the corporations. In this case, it was primarily oil and all the corporations that revolve and spin off around oil to take huge control and to essentially take over their government. We're seeing something like that now happening here in the United States, and we're seeing it throughout Europe. Uh, we're seeing all these austerity programs that are having such a huge impact on Greece and Italy and Spain and Portugal. Are, are, it's because the, 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 the very wealthy are allowed to run things, and we're certainly seeing it in the United States today. We need to stop it. Venezuela gives us a great lesson. Uh, they did it wrong mainly because the people were prospering enough, the normal people, the middle class, that they felt comfortable, well, just let let things go. And let's face it, we in the United States, in Europe, a lot of us are are living pretty well. And even though we're in the process of destroying the planet we live on, this very fragile space station, we're living pretty well, so we say, okay, well, yeah, I don't like it very much, but what the heck, you know, I'll just go to a movie tonight, turn on the television, or go out and have a nice dinner at a good restaurant or something or other. And uh, I'm not putting, you know, I'm not, there's a lot of very, very poor people too, but the ones that, seem, that tended to take the, 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 the steering wheel in this country are pretty well off. We need to understand that we're not well off. That we're creating it, that we have a system and we're perpetuating a system that ultimately is a failed system. And it's showing us that on every level. We need to change it. We must not go the way of Venezuela, but we're headed in that direction unless we take active uh, steps not to allow that to happen. Right. And, and, and I think that you've done such a huge part in shining a light on what has happened, what you've been involved with, and exposing that, you know, exposing that and sharing that with the people, informing the people, you know, like Jefferson said, and uh, we have to have an informed public, you know, they, they have to be, to, to be involved. So, you know, with your first edition of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, that did that, that was that earth shattering, eye opening uh, book. And then the new Confessions elaborates on that even more, um, which came out last year. And what I'm concerned, what I what I worry about, or what I'm interested in, is you know 
there's, I think there's a lot of people out there and you know, the tide is turning. There's a lot of people waking up, but there's a lot of people still out there that look at maybe a book like that or look at something like that and, and, and say, no, that's not how the world works. Like the, you know, they don't have this belief that they, they kind of think that the world works in a different way, maybe in more of a fantasy way. And, you know, the, maybe it's a way of kind of pushing it off so they don't have to deal with it, you know, so they can, like you said, go turn on the TV or, or do something like that. But we might be running out of time where we hit a major crisis and a calamity and it, it could be too late. So, you know, with, for these kinds of people, uh, the people that aren't really necessarily open to that, I mean, maybe could you share a little bit of, of, of kind of, uh, your kind of tips or advice on kind of communicating with people that, that maybe have given you a little bit of resistance and, and don't necessarily kind of, you know, believe, uh, that the world does indeed operate in this way. Well, like, first of all, I'd say that we don't need to convince everybody. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's I mean, true. Yeah. <laughs> the critical mass. Uh, my advice to most people is pick the lowest fruit. Uh, and, you know, some people say, well, all you're doing is preaching to the choir. Maybe that's true, but the choir has to sing. And when the choir sings, things will happen. Oh, nice. I like uh, that. Our, our best guess is that when the, US, when the American Revolution finally happened, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, about 30% of the population in this country approved of that. And another 30% were totally opposed. They were called Tories, the loyalists. Um, and another, uh, the rest of the other 40% basically didn't care. But, and that may be where we're at now. And, you know, I think it's people just, your people who are listening obviously are involved. Mm -hmm. And I really encourage them to be active. I have a webinar that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It starts, it's a four-part webinar on, on how to write a bestseller as an activist, as an activist. And, I, and, and to me, that's very, very important. Uh, and incidentally, there's a few empty spa there's a few spaces left in that we're restricting it to 24 participants. We want to keep it as a salon, a small group of people that are really dedicated. And I've got a feeling there may be a couple of your listeners who might want to join. They can go to johnperkins.org. But I think what's really important here is for all of us to use our talents, whatever those are, as I mentioned earlier. If you're a writer, great. Come to the webinar and, and, and write as an activist. If you're uh, what you do, you follow your heart, your passion, you do these podcasts, uh, carpenters, plumbers, teachers, whatever your profession is, dentists, doctors, we can all participate in this. And it's really important uh, to get out there and take action and, and, and realize that not everybody's going to listen. And you don't need to spend a lot of time on some of those who are just totally intransigent, who, 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 who their, their ways are set. That, that's always been the case. And that's okay. Let, let them go their way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, a, a part of uh, one of the biggest concerns I have is, you know, I love, I love the, the work that you've done and, uh, with, uh, the indigenous cultures and, and continue to do. And, and I spent some time down in the Amazon rainforest as well in Peru. And it's just, uh, it's unbelievable when you spend time with the people down there, the indigenous tribes of the land, and, and you get to live in, in, in a way that they live. And, it's really something totally different. And, and it's almost like if everyone could have that experience and do that, then we would have a lot more care for our, our planet and care for our fellow man and care for, you know, the, the, the mystery and the connection of the cosmos and the wonder of it all. And we could actually live a, a better life. Um, so one of the things that I really, uh, really fight for and, and talk about a lot on this show is 
trying to put an end to the war on drugs and trying to 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 try and change that and, and make a change. And, you know, I think we have come a long way in, in doing that. And I know that there's some countries out there that have given us some good models, like what Portugal is doing and, you know, the decriminalization and, you know, the, the work that's happening right now in the Amazon rainforest with the resurgence of uh, this ancient brew called ayahuasca and shamanism coming back in, into the fold. And I really want to preserve the, the 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 life down there and the and the cultures down there and and you know the, the environment down there. So so what are some good uh, what are some good examples maybe that we can look at that people can look at you know other than the work that I know that you well you can plug the work that you're doing of course but you know obviously you're the guest on the show so you're you are contributing to that. But what are some other places like some countries or some some companies or some people that that are doing some big things that we could all look to and, and, and try and emulate in, in this country here and, you know, as people here. Well, I, I would like to really focus on, on what we're doing here. I mean, you can, you can look at a lot of examples overseas and um, uh, like what's going on in, in places like uh, uh, Italy. And, and I mean, all the controversy that's going on in, in all over the world, the Brexit thing, the, the, uh, What's the elections in France, Italy, Greece, Ireland, Iceland? I spend a lot of time in all these countries. I'm headed to Italy soon, and in Latin America. We're seeing things, but I think to to really look here, as you mentioned earlier, uh, people in your generation, uh, like I, I do a lot of speaking at MBA programs and, and, and universities. And ten, twelve years ago, when I asked people what their goals were in business schools, they all said power and money, but mm -hmm. they don't anymore. They now say that they, they want to have kids and they, they understand that the world's falling apart. They want to create a better world for their kids. I mean, I'm hearing this a lot. So I think there's a huge worldwide movement. I think we're waking up across the planet. I think there's truly a consciousness movement. And the backlash of that is, is the turmoil that we've seen in our most recent presidential election here. And we're still experiencing in that. And also that we're seeing throughout Europe and, and, and so much of the world. And we're seeing it in Latin America. We're seeing it in Africa. We're seeing it all over. There's a backlash. Right. But the fact is people truly are waking up to understand that we're living on a very fragile space station. And we're the navigators. Uh, we the, peop the people. And we're not doing a good job. We've got to change our navigation. We've got to navigate in new directions. So, but and and I I'd really like to leave people with this this idea that I think we're living today. I think all of your listeners are so fortunate that we're living in the most blessed times. We're living in the, perhaps the greatest revolution that human beings have ever known, bigger than the industrial agricultural revolution, a consciousness revolution where we're truly waking up to the role of human perception in, model, in, in molding the realities of this planet. And we're waking up to the fact that the realities we've molded are not life-supporting and are heading us toward disaster for ourselves, our children and grandchildren. And we need to change that perception and move in a new direction. And whether you're a writer or an artist or a musician or a dentist or a lawyer or uh, a parent or whatever you are, this is the time to to really take action. And, uh, you know, I would only say that I, there's a lot of specific examples in the New Confessions of an Economic Commandment. I have long lists of things, a list that students can do, a list that retired people can do, and, and on and on. There's a whole strategy there, and a lot of it's on my website, johnperkins.org, and will be in my writer's conference, uh, writer's web webinar. 
But the, the short version of that is, if each and every one of us follows our deepest passion, whatever that is, and uses our best skills, we can all go in, on different paths, we can take different routes, but let's all head to the same destination of creating a, a life economy, transforming this death economy, this failing system, into a successful system, a life economy that is itself a renewable resource. John Perkins, thank you so much, sir. New York Times bestselling author, activist, and chief economist, John Perkins, ladies and gentlemen. John, thank you so much. And please, uh, I know you mentioned a couple times, johnperkins.org is where people can find you. Just let the people know uh, uh, elsewhere where they can find you and maybe any events and things that you have coming up. Well, I'm on Facebook. Go to my, not my personal page because I don't, that's not very active, but my, uh, uh, fan page where I am very active and, and uh, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter and it all can start with johnperkins.org, dreamchange.org, dreamchange, a nonprofit I found is doing an amazing summit for business leaders. We're calling it the Love Summit. It's the second one we've done. The, the first was a huge success. We're getting business leaders to buy into this idea of loving a life economy, moving into that. This next one is going to be in Cincinnati, October 12th and 13th. You can go to dreamchange.org, johnperkins.org, and come with me on one of these trips to the shamans, to Colombia or Guatemala, the Amazon or someplace, because those are phenomenal experiences. And Mike, I would just like to leave it with, uh, you're doing great work here. Keep it up. And you keep this work up and people like you and your listeners do what their passions tell them to do. And we will, for sure, create a life economy, a better world. Excellent. Thank you so much, John. And I hope to join you on one of those ventures or meet up with you as soon as you're uh, around in the area and everything. And I just want to thank you once again so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do and for fighting the good fight that you do and traveling around and doing all this great stuff. And thanks for being on my podcast today, Mike Adelic, John. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. You're welcome, Mike. I look forward to talking again. Bye-bye. Take care. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace. i
lemon drops high above the chimney top. That's where you find me, oh, somewhere over the rainbow. Bluebirds fly, and the dream that you did to. Where? 